I feel like I'm on the road to burnout. I constantly feel like I'm not able to do everything necessary and I don't have enough time to follow through on everything that needs to be done. That's what one of my clients said to me when we first talked and she was considering joining the Sisters in Leadership program. Through her experience in the program, she was able to turn that situation around, which was a good thing because she got a promotion and new leadership responsibilities that would have felt impossible had she not changed her ways. If you've ever struggled with feeling like you have too much on your plate or wondering why you can't get more budget or the headcount to be successful, you're going to want to stick with me for the roadmap on how to get out of working so much and how to get more time by working smarter. I'm Jill Avey, a career success coach, and this is Sister Smart Leadership, the show that explores how women can rise from director to vice president and beyond by fully leaning into their feminine energy as their biggest advantage. Let's get you one step closer to the recognition and promotion you deserve. In episode 14, we talked about how taking on more work doesn't get you promoted. And I left you with a challenge to start seeing what you could do less of. So how did that go? If you're like most of us, you probably didn't turn your life around without one shift. This is because it's not as easy as just looking at your to-do list and crossing some things off that you don't feel like doing. There's social and psychological reasons that you stay stuck in the busyness trap unless you understand these influences and create a plan about how to work through them. So we often think that we can just get this to-do list cleared off and then we'll finally be in this place where we can take care of ourselves and have a little fun and enjoyment of our lives and plan for the future. The problem with to-do lists is that they never end. As one thing gets crossed off, more get added. And there is always a list going because that's just the nature of life. For women, some societal factors can also keep us trapped in this busyness cycle as well. When I was doing the research for developing my leadership program, I learned from Sally Hagelson and Marshall Goldsmith in their book, How Women Rise, that there are a few unhelpful habits that are common among women, which keep us doing more and more without reaping the benefits of our efforts. These three unhelpful habits are, first, we have people pleasing. This is one that's helpful for us early in our career, and that's because women are socialized in most societies to be helpful, pleasing, and nice. So as you get established in your career, you get promoted for being the go-to person who gets things done with a smile. And some signs that you might still be a people pleaser include having a strong need to be liked and needing reassurance by others about their acceptance of you and your work. You might feel the need to put the needs of others ahead of your own, and it might be hard for you to express your own needs and to even understand what your needs are. This might come with a worry that expressing your own needs is also selfish. The downside to people pleasing is that it can easily learn to burn out and resentment. People often take advantage of people pleasers, unwittingly even, because they lack the boundaries to let their colleagues know what is and isn't acceptable for them. And they leave it to everyone else to figure that out. So people pleasing can also degrade trust. I had one client who was surprised that her teammates didn't know if they could trust her or not. And this totally came as a shock to her because she has really high integrity and considers herself very trustworthy. But when she inquired further, she found that her people-pleasing is what had gotten in the way. She often went along with the group, even when she didn't agree. And then later, if her true feelings came out, her team didn't know whether they could trust her to truly speak her mind or not. It was easy for her to turn the situation around once she got used to speaking up and disagreeing with people more often. The next unhelpful habit is perfectionism. 
You'll notice yourself being a perfectionist when you are punctual, methodical, and striving for perfect quality combined with being highly critical of yourself and others. So it kind of takes all of that into play. It's not just doing a great job. You might also be working overtime to make up for the unacceptable work of others. And this might include not handing off projects that you don't feel will be done quite as well as you can. (laughs) Often a perfectionist is driven to be so good because they're afraid to get criticism. And I can tell you that this was a tactic I used in my career. People with ADHD have something called rejection sensitivity disorder or RSD, which makes us extra sensitive to criticism. And before I understood my own ADHD, I used to try to get everything perfect so that I could avoid that possibility of being criticized. This resulted in a lot of overwork, wasting time and energy that I could have spent better elsewhere. And a lot of people fall into this, whether they have ADHD or not. It's just that avoidance of wanting to face that criticism. So the downside of perfectionism is that it creates a lot of rigidity and anxiety and frustration for people. And people don't like working for a perfectionist because they feel that they can never be successful no matter how hard they work. And that can lead them to doubting themselves or it can lead to resignation or becoming resentful and no one wants that. It's also hard to gain followership when you're a perfectionist. And so high turnover is also one sign of this habit in action. Our third habit is overvaluing expertise. This is where we think we need more expertise than we actually do. Often women will continue to get more and more education in an attempt to prove their worth. This happens a lot with professionals who pursue certification after certification in an attempt to feel confident. I know I felt the draw when I first started coaching, for sure. Yes, I needed a certain amount of training and specialties, but it was tempting to hide behind the learning and not step out and hone my craft by doing, which is what I ultimately pushed myself to do. In the corporate world, this can look like getting more degrees and certifications, it can also show up as this feeling of needing to have someone else's opinion or data or research to back up your ideas, even when you're the expert on the subject. When I was researching for my program, I heard from men that they saw women bringing a lot of backup data, which in their view made them actually less credible. And I know from talking to women as well as my own experience, that women are doing this because they don't feel they get the credibility that they deserve on their own. So you can see that there's a line between too much backup and not enough that we have to navigate. So start watching for the three helpful habits in your life today. Watch for when people-pleasing, perfectionism, and overvaluing expertise show up and see what it is that you're doing and how you're feeling at the time. This can be an indicator for you that something is potentially keeping you stuck in a busyness trap by working too much. And so you can start to investigate the root causes, and then you can begin to create new habits and responses instead. It'd be hard to let go of these longstanding habits because they're socially reinforced. And that's why I think it's important for us to take a look at the downsides of busyness and how it's getting in our way, not helping us. So imagine for a moment, four quadrants. We have the career, relationships, health, and refueling. Now let's think about what happens when we overemphasize one quadrant or another. Often I work with women who have a career quadrant that's taking over everything else. It might look like 80% of the diagram. And the exercise that I have them do is to think about what is suffering as a result of the career quadrant getting too much attention. How are their relationships suffering? How is their health suffering? And how is their refueling suffering? About this time, they tell me they're surprised that refueling has its own quadrant. And I tell them, yes, it's that important. I mentioned in a previous episode that I had one job where I regularly got home at 11 p.m. to an unhappy husband. 
While he wanted to be supportive of my career, he couldn't help but feel a little neglected when he spent so much time alone in a city that we had moved to for my job, so we had few relationships. So you can see that my overemphasis on my career was taking a toll on my relationship. It also had a toll on my health because I gained some weight from the lack of being able to work out and be able to eat healthy. And in the refueling category, we did take a lot of time on the weekends to explore our surroundings, but I certainly wasn't sleeping well, which had a negative effect on my moods, making me a little snippier than I like to be. So doing this exercise can help give you the motivation that you need to want to make changes. It's one thing to say, oh, I shouldn't work so late to yourself, but it's another thing to really take a look at the things that are suffering because of those work hours and then decide whether it's worth it to take that extra project on. And sometimes it's our relationships or our health that are starting to eat away at our ability to work at our best. So this can include family obligations as well. So once you see the real ramifications of the things that you're responsible for, it can get much easier to start setting boundaries about what you do and what you don't want. After going through this process, one client realized that she was spending 20 hours a week at soccer practice. So she organized a carpool to, and was able to cook dinner two nights a week and felt that she was supporting her family's nutrition in a way that she could be proud of. And this made a really big difference for her. So now you've hopefully identified some things that you want to let go of by thinking through these quadrants. The next step is to develop a plan of how to let go of these things. So it's likely that you're doing these things that they're, that they're on your plate because you feel that they're important for you to be doing them and not others. It can feel a little scary to let go of the things that you believe are so critical to your success. So a good place to start is look at the places where you feel either fear or anger. These two emotions will often lead us to wanting to control things more tightly. When we see and name these charged emotions, they can lose their power. Journaling can be a, a really helpful way to identify the areas in your life where fear and anger are present and then help you release them. A lot of times women feel pressured to control these emotions because it can be hard for us to express them freely. But when we control one thing in our lives, we control everything in our lives. So there can be a lot of spillover into our work when we do this. So I always advise people to identify a couple of small things to start with. It's better to always take small steps and experiment a little bit with letting go as you get started here. So can you embrace striving for excellence instead of perfect? Maybe you can delegate one small thing. Can you take a chance that someone will not be happy with you about a minor thing? These are all great baby steps to take on your way to letting go of more. So now that you're ready to let go of it, it's now time to discern what author Greg McEwen calls the vital few. These are the things that are truly important to you in your life. So when you first start thinking about what is your vital few, you may have a lot of things on your list, but over time you can hone it down to just a few items. So McEwen advises us to ask ourselves if it's a hell yes when we're deciding on our vital few. And if it's not a hell yes, it's a no. I like to also have people ask themselves how committed they are to this thing. So if it's not a nine or 10 on the commitment scale, then it's a no. And that means if it's a seven or an eight, it's a no. And sometimes people are really shocked to realize this, but it only means that this just isn't the right time for this thing right now. And perhaps you need to wait for a different season in your life for this to come up the scale. When you can understand what your vital view really is, then you can start to focus on these things that truly matter. And that will then tell you what your trivial many is. So your trivial many is basically everything else that isn't your vital few. So these are the things that are actually getting in the way of you being successful because these are sucking up your time and your energy and giving you back little in return. 
And you want to actually avoid these things at all costs. Of course, life is made up of lots of these types of things, and some of them might be unavoidable. My mind goes to expense reports. So if we can't get rid of these things completely off of our plate, then we can devise systems to get them done quickly and off our minds right away. Embracing the concept of the vital few and the trivial many constitutes a big mindset shift for most people. If you've been working from a to-do list and trying to check off as much as you can each day, this will create a whole new way for you to start determining where you can have the most impact. Then you can set about working on those items instead of what has bubbled up to the top or who's the loudest voice. It will help you to get out of your inbox and create time for you to work on your most meaningful deep work that needs your attention and focus. So how are you going to make a shift like this? One of the best ways to do this kind of planning is on a personal strategy retreat. A personal strategy retreat is a time that you take to create a plan for how you're going to make your vital few a reality. I've created a step-by-step process that our clients go through, which is usually one of the most impactful parts of our leadership program. Our clients take two full days to spend alone and unplugged and listen to those quiet voices inside that often get drowned out in daily life. This allows them to create a plan that's truly fulfilling for them because they are considering all of their four quadrants and how they really want to organize their life deep down inside. So everyone comes back with a new perspective and a few ahas that shift how they set their goals. They also come back with a plan for how they're going to achieve each goal that they set. The cadence for a personal strategy retreat is to do a two-day retreat once per year and then take quarterly retreats, which only take two to three hours. But it gives you a time to check in and see how you're doing. I have clients that have been doing their retreats for years and have even extended their time alone to four or even seven days. One client incorporated it into the downtime during a week-long yoga retreat. Now think about what getting away to think strategically about your life could do for you. At the end of each episode, I like to give you three shifts that you can make today to get started. The first shift that for you to start with is to watch for the three unhelpful habits showing up in your life. I guarantee that you've got one or all of them happening if you're anything like the rest of us. So that's the people pleasing, the perfectionism, and the overvaluing expertise. Your second shift is to start thinking about the implications of busyness in your life. Ask yourself, what is suffering as a result of doing too much in any of your quadrants? And as a reminder, their quadrants are career, relationships, health, and refueling. And the third shift is to think about letting go of control in one small way. What's one thing that you could leave to others that will have little impact? This is a great place to start. You know, these three unhelpful habits lose their control over us when you can name it and claim it. So what is one helpful habit that you can claim today? Let us know in the comments if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're listening to the podcast, let somebody else know in your life what one unhelpful habit is and let that lose control over you. If you'd like to stay out of the traps that I found myself in, and then you're going to want to check out my private podcast where I go through the seven-step process that we use with our clients to get them on their path to promotion. I'll also share client success stories so that you can hear from other women who have had the same situations and same ambitions that you have, because I think that you too would like to stop overworking so much and have more success at the same time. So if you're a female leader who wants to make bigger impact by leading at a higher level in your career, subscribe either on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm on a mission to help more women succeed in leadership so our world gets the benefit of what women bring to leadership. And if that's aligned with you, 
I'd love to have you be part of this community and tune into more episodes on women's leadership that will support more success for us all. See you in the next episode. If you're ready to fully lean into your feminine leadership and get promoted from director to vice president and beyond, hit that subscribe button so you'll get all the episodes to come. And check out the recommended video here to see how women are rising up without playing by the old rules that built these male-dominated industries and systems. If you're seeing just how differently women lead and how by doing so, women leaders can gain influence, restore balance, and earn the recognition and promotions they deserve, I would love it if you left a rating and review. I read each one and these reviews make it possible for me to reach more women leaders like you so they can rise up as far as they'd like without getting stuck.